Hey, Bethel Cleveland listeners. We just want to remind you that we've launched a brand new show called the Steve Witt Podcast. Each week, join Steve Witt as he goes further into the word and he offers his unique perspective on the things going on around the world. You don't want to miss this, so check it out. Search Bethel Cleveland on Apple or Spotify Podcasts. Enjoy. Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. All right. It is really good to be with you today. I don't want to double up on the announcements too much, but Pastor Steve's podcast, you want to listen to that. It's basically Pastor Steve, I don't know how long it is, Josh, like 30 minutes to an hour, 30 minutes, just sharing his innermost thoughts with you. Um, you're going to hear stuff that you wouldn't hear on a Sunday morning. You're going to hear it there. Um, it's just like kind of just going deeper and cracking open that egg and hearing more, right? So you want to check that out. But today we're going to continue on with our series about food. And today my title, which, you know, I was, well, yeah, it works. But my title is The Power of Communion. And um, I do have a question, though, today. Is anybody hungry yet? <laughs> For lunch? I'm kidding, because <laughs> I've got a lot of notes. I'm kidding. Kind of. All right, well, let's hop in. Today I'm going to be talking about the power of communion. The Lord's table is an invitation we've all been given as sons and daughters. The table's holy. It's both natural and spiritual. And the line between heaven and earth blurs at the communion table. One of the things that I was considering as, as I was praying about communion, I thought, wasn't it just brilliant of Jesus to take something like his sacrifice and his blood and to make it something physical to make it something that we could see, taste, touch, and then take within ourselves, right? So often when we pray, it's, it's the spiritual side, but Jesus knew that we were a triune being, right? We're made up of our, our mind, our soul, and our emotions, our spirit, and our body. And in that moment, those three converged at the communion table, and the Lord made, made his body, his sacrifice, something that we could hold in our hands, and something that we could put inside of us. Catholics call it the transubstantiation, right? But they believe that it turns into flesh and blood. Do I believe that every time we take communion that human flesh and blood is transformed in me? No. But something supernatural does happen, right? I'm going to crack open this for you. Um, The night before Jesus was betrayed, a table was set. If you have your Bibles or your app, open up to 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, we're going to go through verses 23 through 26. Nothing warms my heart like a sound of a page turning. Do you hear it? Okay, who gets there first wins the sword drill? Go. All right. Verse 23, here we go. The same night in which he was handed over, betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks. And then he distributed it to the disciples and said, take it and eat your fill. This was translated to mean eat and be satisfied. It's my body which is given for you. Do this and remember me. 
He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, this cup seals the new covenant of my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. Now remember, the disciples had heard Jesus alluding to his eventual death, but that hadn't hit home yet. We're reading this with hindsight 2020, right? We know what's about to happen. The Lord is literally prophetically speaking about things that have not unfolded but were decided before the foundations of the earth. And up to this point, every moment in the Bible that was centered around food became like John the Baptist. You remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist? He said, out of all the prophets, none was greater than John the Baptist, but what? But even the least in this new kingdom is greater than him, right? Every other meal, and we're going to get into it, we're going to go for it, with uh, food and, and the connection to the supernatural throughout the whole Bible. But it was this moment, this pinnacle moment at the communion table where all of it converged and the natural and the supernatural touched and transformation was released. It was the, it was the wedding feast before the meal where Jesus became the meal. He turned the... Uh, table into an altar and he became the sacrifice the passover lamb that was sacrificed for all of us and he became that meal that if we drink his blood and eat his flesh we're one with him now if you remember when jesus first said that the church left right how many of your friends would leave if they're like, so tell me about jesus well you've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood that's all <laughs> it's not weird <laughs> oh, but you know what? There are so many instances where food was used as a precursor to the release of a promise from a supernatural miracle. But at this holy moment, all of history converged, and Jesus invited all of us to become one with him. Jesus, the bread of life and his shed blood, the wine of his new covenant, it took a natural moment and transformed it into a hinge that swung open the doors of the kingdom for you and for me. There's an upper room song that I was playing and well, thinking about my head all the time, listening to. It's called Oh, the Cross. And the bridge, I thought, is just brilliant. She sings and says, Thank you for breaking the bread of your body and spilling the wine of your blood. Thank you. Oh, my heart will sing forever. Yeah, I could keep going, but... That was the song. I said, thank you for breaking the bread of your body and spilling the wine of your blood. The natural, supernatural touch in the Lord's Supper becomes a physical representation of us taking his blood and his body, his sacrifice and his redemption within ourselves. So as Christians, uh, we can shy away from that, right? We get freaked out by the idea of, you know, eating a human, Understandably. But I do believe that the Lord's Supper, communion, is supernatural, that even today when we take it, supernatural power is released in you. So in 1 Corinthians, where we, where we read, we're going to jump down. It's chapter 11, and I want to jump down to verse 30. It says, this insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some are even dying. So the wealthy people of Corinth we're creating like a, a class gap, a class separation where the wealthy people were eating, they were getting drunk at the Lord's table, and it was, it was a, you know, it was a rager. They were having a great time. Poor people were left out. 
And so there was a divide that was happening, cliques that were happening in the kingdom. And, and Paul is telling them this insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some are even dying. He's not just talking about insensitivity towards the people around him. He's saying insensitivity towards the measure of honor of what is happening at this table. That it is not just about getting as much food as you possibly can or getting drunk at the table. It is about honoring the Lord. It was profaning the Lord's supper. And so for that reason, they were chronically ill and some are even dying. And doesn't this sound like something that if you were to hear this preach from a pulpit, you would say, fake news! Fake news. People don't die from taking communion. Religion. Take your religious spirit away. The Lord wants us to eat like this. But Paul said in verse 28, so let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only eat the bread and drink the cup. For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. What this means, recognizing the bread as Christ's body and sacrifice. When someone gives you a precious gift, whatever they gave you kind of becomes a representation of their love for you, doesn't it? The sacrifice it took to give. In this case, at the Lord's Supper, we remember the greatest gift that's ever been given in all of eternity, in all of the universe. That is what communion is. It's a holy table. And there's something supernatural that happens. So if people with a wrong spirit die taking communion, there is something supernatural happening. So I have a question for you today. What is happening in your body when you take communion with a right spirit? So when you take it with a wrong spirit, death, chronic illness, all that crazy stuff starts to get unleashed. But what happens when you take communion with the right spirit? I believe that the supernatural life-infused power of your creator fills you up. I believe people can be healed in communion, set free in communion. The Lord's Supper is a table where freedom is released. It's only been the past couple hundred years that we come and do church like this. It was always centered around a table. Jesus And the Last Supper did not whip out an acoustic guitar and sing the new song that he wrote. He served a meal. He blessed his friends. Because even though he he is God, he was also fully man. And he knew that the dynamic of their relationship would intensify because his spirit would live in them. But it still wouldn't be the same as what it was leading up to that point. Because at that point, he was living with them every day in the flesh as a human. And there was a transition that was coming where he was going to literally float up into the sky so that his spirit could be released and empower them in a way that wouldn't happen if he stayed. That's why he said it would be better for you if I go away. If Jesus said that to you today, what would you do? It would be better if I went away. You'd say, (laughs) no. Nope, that doesn't make it seem like something great's happening. Bad, bad things are happening. Jesus used communion and the physical bread and wine to usher in his kingdom. Here's something I just want to share. This is from the heart. I was thinking about it when I was driving in my car this morning. When was the last time you asked the Lord to forgive you for your sins? This morning? <laughs> When's the last time you thought about that? Because I was driving in the car thinking about it, and there's so many who are wrapped up in this movement of the, he loves us, oh, how he loves us. I don't need to ask for forgiveness anymore because it's already done. And yes, it is. It is done. 
Every sin you were ever going to commit, he already knows about. He exists outside of time, and his blood is sufficient to redeem and cover every one of those sins. But I got a question for you. How do you think it's going to go over for me if my wife, although is married to me until death do us part, if I just stopped apologizing? We were at men's retreat, and one of our guys stands up and he asks this big question. He's like, it was something about relationship or, you know, how do you keep your relationship, like, alive and vibrant? I think he said spicy. Um, and Pastor Steve gets on the mic and he says, apologize. <laughs> apologize. So if we, we were, we're in a relationship, you're in a marriage, you're in a committed covenant relationship, till death do you part, it is tangible, they are right next to you. If you're going to apologize to that person when you screw up, even though you know that they're going to forgive you, I hope, even though you know that this covenant's going to extend beyond this current moment of difficulty and pressure, does that mean that you're going to take advantage of that relationship and not talk? Honestly, what, what kind of relationship is it if we don't talk about the things that divide us and separate us, right? So in your relationship with God, you have to be able to go before him and say, Lord, search me, know me, and see if there be any wicked way in me. I'm covered by the blood. I'm seated in heavenly places. I'm a son of God, but I am still in need of your grace every Every day, I recognize that my righteousness is not my own, but it was gifted to me from the Lord. This righteousness that I carry is as filthy rags, but Lord, your righteousness is what clothes me, it's what gives me permission to come before you. Those are the kind of prayers that the Lord wants to hear. Food, back to the table, was designed to be a reflection and a reminder of the connection between the natural and the spiritual, and, a, and it, it's a tool that releases his supernatural nature into us in the world around us. How many of you had a supernatural meal in your life? Food that was so good that you remember it to this day. Right? I really hope no one's thinking about McDonald's. But my kids are in kids' church, so they can't be here to think about it. Food is natural, but it's also spiritual. And man, we're just living in a culture that doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that we have an eternal spirit in us. It just wants to say that we're just the soul, just the mind, right? So almost three years ago, we met this lady. She's wretched. Her name's COVID. And aside from all the global upheaval and the cultural whiplash, you know, the mass exodus towards isolation, another piece that this disease took from people is taste and smell. Think about it. COVID didn't only ram through every social norm. In, in other nations, I've got people I know where family members, neighbors are reporting them to the police for breaking social distancing protocol on holidays. That's some secret police stuff. Um, it didn't only polarize people I have someone really close in my life. They have a, a lifelong mentor and friend, somebody that's been in our lives since I think I was five or six. Um, very strong mentor, very amazing person, very loving. Um, they won't see my friend anymore because she didn't want to be vaccinated. The relationship was cut off, right? So we met COVID, took our taste and smell, it's not just polarizing. It's not just breaking through. It starts to sound like what Jesus was talking about, right? Like father against, against children, children against parents, all that. 
it married a political issue to the value of a loved one. There are plenty of things you could probably find wrong with a loved one, right? If you know somebody, it's real easy. There are millions of reasons to cut someone off from your life. Some of you today have violent and abusive relational history, and this separation was necessary. I just didn't think that there would be a day that my vaccine choices would end relationships. COVID made it scary or illegal to share a meal with anyone living outside of your house. Do you remember that? And then to rub salt in the wound, if and when you got it, you couldn't taste or smell your food anymore. I mean, I got COVID in 2020 over uh, Christmas and New Year's. That was fun. I remember it. Um, But I remember after I was out of isolation, I was at a party and... Rachel, you might remember this. It was this like mango habanero cheese on like this cheese board. And I, I loved it. I was eating all of this cheese, but nobody else was touching it. I'm just like piling. I'm like, oh, this is so good. Why doesn't anyone like this? And then I watched somebody take a little sliver and they put it in their mouth and it looked like the hounds of hell had come and just dragged their tongue out. They were crying. They're like, this is so hot. I'm like, I can't taste anything. It tastes like a sweet cheese. That's when I knew. Little tingle, that's all I had. (laughs) You know, and I'll be honest with you, prior to this moment, have you guys ever had those Morningstar chicken nuggets, the buffalo kind? Those were way too hot for me. (laughs) So something happened. COVID just robbed me of my taste. (laughs) I think it's back. Food creates a connection where the natural and the spiritual converge. So if you're celebrating, food increases the joy, doesn't it? If you're sad... Food can be comforting, like funeral food. I'm not talking about stress eating. For all of you who think I'm justifying that, that's not okay. That whole, like, 2 a.m., you wake up, no inhibitions, and just like a raccoon in a dumpster, just like, you know, in the dark. (laughs) And then you go back up to bed, and you get under the covers, and and you look up at the ceiling, and you're like, oh, God, what have I done? What have I done? And then you get up in the morning, your spouse comes downstairs, and there's Oreos and dust and things just spread your sin on display because you were too asleep to know. I'm not talking about stress eating. I'm talking about, you know, funeral food, mashed potatoes, rice. (laughs) If you have terrible news, if you have terrible news to deliver or a fractured relationship to restore or somebody you need to break up with, (laughs) food can create a bridge to meet on. That's why so many people break up in restaurants. I'm kidding. If you're wanting to get someone to like you enough to date you, food is a great intro, is, is it not? So I came up to Cleveland, and I hadn't moved here yet. This was back in 2010, so almost 13 years ago. And I met Ashley on, like, the first day I was down here, and so I kind of was into her from the start. As in, I got in the car after I met her and told my sister, I'm going to marry her. And I did, and we have three kids. So, I know. Isn't it great? Three kids, all according to plan. Um, If you want someone to like you enough to date you, you cook for them. So when I I spent the day with Ashley, I thought, I'm going to cook for her. And so, this is before my mother-in-law, Cindy Witt. How many of you know her reputation for cooking? Anybody? It's not even human, just the things that she can do. 
it's godly. <laughs> it's supernatural. It's one of the reasons why her and Steve are going to live forever because of the way that she cooks. I had not known any of these things, right? So I, I got this recipe off of the back of, an, of a gnocchi box, and I was going to make Ashley this gnocchi, but I, I didn't read the proportions right, so I put an entire onion into this thing. It was basically like an onion salad with a little gnocchi inside of it and pepper. And she sat there in the kitchen and said, it's so good, and she ate it. She must have really liked me. <laughs> But there's something about cooking together, right? Something that kind of like creates, I don't know, connection. And food has always been that. It creates a, a connection between the natural and the spiritual. Um, hop on over with me. I want to touch on some things throughout the Bible that led us to that communion table moment in Corinthians 11 that Paul was talking about. Genesis 25, starting in verse 19. We're going to kind of skim through this. Um, it's a story of Isaac. Now, Rebecca wasn't able to have kids. And she pleaded with God. And she got pregnant. God responded to Isaiah's prayer. And this is just so funny. Because how many of you when, you, when you read scripture, sometimes you, you dehumanize the people and you don't hear the actual tones in their talk. So they can say something that if you were to say out loud in that circumstance, would sound entirely different than, bless us, O Lord, for this gift that we are about to receive. Like that. So this is one of those. And I'm going to read it to you how I hear it in my head. So during her pregnancy, Rebecca could feel the twins thrashing and struggling with each other inside the womb. So she inquired of God, saying, why do I have to live with this? <laughs> how many moms in the room today? Can I see your hand? Can you wave at me? <laughs> why do I have to live with this you recognize that and then God answers her saying I'm, I'm assuming sandwich but you know I'm not adding the scripture the two sons in your womb will become two nations and the two will become rivals one people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger so she had twins and it's kind of funny. The first one came out, he was reddish and covered with hair. They said it was like a sweater. So they named him Esau, Harry. And his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's ankle, so they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber or supplanter. And even in the womb, Jacob was jostling for that right of being firstborn, trying to yank him out of the way during birth. Can you imagine? The woman had been through enough. They're already fighting. Now, he, now they're struggling during the actual delivery. God have mercy. But hopping down to verse 27... So when the boys grew up, Esau became a rugged outdoorsman. He would have hit a lot of skeet at the men's retreat this past weekend. And a hardy hunter. But Jacob was more contemplative. He was more like a me with a, with a shotgun. Contemplative. A few skeet. Content to stay close to home. <laughs> but Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of eating wild game. Food. One of the reasons that's lifted for why Esau was favored is food. But Rebekah favored her son. So one day, Jacob was cooking a stew. Esau comes back from hunting. He's really, really hungry. He smells the aroma of this food, and he goes, I'm, I don't even know how he talks. I imagine it to be like Thor in my head. I'm starving. Let me eat some of that red stuff you're cooking. And Jacob says, yes, but first you must trade me my birthright. Can't you see that I'm dying of hunger? What good is my birthright if I'm dead? He just sounds very manly. And Jacob insisted, first swear to me that you'll give it to me. So Esau swore an oath 
and surrendered his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some lentil stew and bread. And when Esau finished eating and drinking, he just got up and he walked away. It says that he cared nothing about his birthright. Jacob's deepest desire was to claim the rights of firstborn. He was fighting for it in the womb, and he won it at the table over food. What did birthright mean? Brian Simmons has a great note on it. It just says, it's the right of the firstborn to inherit a double portion, twice as much as the younger siblings inherit. And now Jacob possessed those rights and the blessings of firstborn, which included authority, headship, a double portion of the inheritance, and the right to be the priest of the family. So that's why you hear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Harry, Esau. That's why. Food illustrates and it can create a connection between the natural and the supernatural, right? Jacob's most heartfelt desire was to be the firstborn, so he and his mother deceived Isaac into giving Esau's blessing to him. It was crazy. Like, Isaac's blind. They covered Jacob's arms with hair, because let's be real, they said his, Esau was hairy like a sweater. Like, it looked like he was wearing a garment is what they said. So he's super hairy, and they put, like, goat hair all over his arms, and he made him his favorite meal, and he got the blessing, Right? Esau didn't care about his birthright. Why didn't he care? This is not something that is uncommon. This is a cultural piece that was super important to these guys. Why didn't he care? Maybe it's because it was always his. Maybe because the Lord had chosen Jacob. Or maybe because his mother favored his younger brother. His dad favored him for what he provided. There's a lot of reasons you could dig into his mind. But whatever the reason, he surrendered his birthright. He swore an oath and released his right for the most common bowl of lentil soup. What meal is so good that you'd be willing to sell your destiny or your promise from the Lord? Let me tell you, it wasn't that lentil soup. Man, I see a progressive jar in my head when I think about it when I read. All too often, though, we sell what the Lord has for us over a bowl of lentils, something common and not special. And we see the story on repeat, how many marriages fall apart over an affair that amounted to a bowl of lentils. We give up our passionate pursuit of the Lord for more time on our phone, watching TV, stress rest. You guys heard about that term yet? I saw it pop up the other day. So I'm doing my thing, okay? I'm making my own definition up for it. So you can take this and use it if you want. Stress rest. Stress rest is the kind of rest that distracts the mind but doesn't rejuvenate the spirit. It's what happens when we watch a show or reels on Instagram or reread a junky novel that we've read before to distract ourselves from the stress. The catch is, the stress is only pause. It builds up like water behind a door, and when we open it, the waves flow in with intensity. I wanted to tell you that there is a better rest for you today, a rejuvenation of the spirit. Jacob gained his birthright over a stew. Jesus ushered in his kingdom over bread and wine. Food has power If you hop over just one more instance I want to I share with you, because we're going to tie this all together. It's a lot, I know, but hang with me. In Genesis 18, we hear the story about a son being promised to Sarah. And angels came to visit Abraham and Sarah. So what was the first thing he did? He ran out, chose a tender calf, gave it to his, ser his servant who quickly prepared it. And in verse 8 of Genesis 
18. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat, and he served it to the men. And as they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Where's your wife, Sarah, they asked. Oh, she's in the tent. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old at this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself. Now, I have a question for you. If you came up here, now, this will never happen because our prophetic teams know the rules. No names, dates, babies. We don't prophesy that up here. But if you came up and someone said to you, one of my ladies who is, how was it put that Joseph said it, advanced in years, and someone told you today that you were going to get pregnant, what would, you, what would your response be? Who just said that? <laughs> So Sarah laughs. She laughs silently because, you know, these are, I'm, I'm guessing, bad dudes, kind of big. She said, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, he's so old. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, an old, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And so Sarah was afraid. Can you picture her peeking out from the tent going, I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, oh, but you did. <laughs> Food was served, a promise was released, and the natural was invaded by the supernatural at the table. Over and over, and you see it in Scripture. Food is the central theme. It's a, a prophetic element to the convergence of the natural and the supernatural, the physical world and the spiritual. Food can create an open heaven over your life. And that is why there is such a concerted effort from hell to attack meals right now. Let me read off some numbers for you here. Did you know that 30% of families eat meals together regularly? And how many of those families do you have kids who are watching shows or, or parents on their phones during that meal? 30% actually make the effort to sit down together. There's no implication that they're actually talking with each other either. When's the last time that you went to a restaurant and no one took out their phone or answered an urgent message? I got a better question. I'm going to really... Tickle you here. When's the last time you didn't check your phone when you got a text message when you were out with somebody? Hmm? Hmm? The haste of society is a tool in the hands of the enemy, and it's to divorce the natural and the supernatural. The hurry culture takes something holy, like motherhood, being present with your kids. Where are my moms at? I felt like I needed to pray for you this morning. Can I see if you're a mom? Just raise your hand for a second. I want to pray for you. Father, would you release the revelation that what they do is holy work? What they do matters. It is high on heaven's priority list. That There is nothing great accomplished in the world that holds the same weight as, as a mother who ministers to her children and raises them up. The greatest legacy you will ever have on this earth are those kids. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for your grace because we're all human. But Lord, I thank you also that you anointed each one of them to be a mom. Father, I pray that you'd break off mom guilt, mom shame right now. God, all the, I didn't do enough, I didn't say this, I didn't do this right, I I was frustrated, I was short, I wasn't focused. All of those things that every mom deals with, I just, I just break it off in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that the same grace that's been shown to them in their spiritual walk, they would show to themselves as mothers and that they would allow you, Holy Spirit, to heal those broken ends, to heal those, um, those hurt spots and to become uh, an even more clear representation of, of your love through their hands to their children. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Motherhood is holy. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Don't, let, don't feel like your life was paused for, for, for any reason that is not the top tier of heaven's priority. Jesus was with the kids. They ran to him. He loved children. So, hurry culture. Take something holy like motherhood. Being present with your kids, preparing food together, eating it, tosses that away. The justification is, is they aren't necessary. They're too time-consuming, too much to do, too much to accomplish, too much to watch, too much to absorb. There's just too much in our culture right now, too much in our society. And if a meal is only natural and only nurtures the body, why don't we eat it more quickly and more efficiently? Hmm? 83%, and this is me too, by the way. I mean, me and Ashley had to repent after I wrote this. 83% of families eat fast food at least once a week. And the average family is spending 10% of their income on takeout. Can I tell you a joke that is like, you know, half, 70% joke, 30% truth. So don't be offended. The joke is like, so we're spending 10% of our income on takeout. Are we tithing to the God of hurry? Hurry culture isn't without its leaders, okay? So it's not like technology has opened Pandora's box and we're all swept away into it, right? There are leaders in this movement. I wanted to highlight one of them. One of the creators of Facebook. Most of you have Facebook, right? Everybody? One of the creators said it was designed to suck away as much of your time without you realizing it. And he said, God only knows what it's doing to our kids. It's not tested, and you can do a little test right now. Whip out your phone for me. Swipe to the left. Look at your screen reports. I can tell you what they are. Nielsen said that sometimes people, gosh, in our culture, 18 and up, I think it's uh, average is 10 hours a day. Isn't that crazy? People touch their phones over 2,000 times a day. 2,000 times. That's nuts. What if we prayed like that? So, hours just sucked away without us even knowing it. It's genius. And how would someone use this power and why? I got an answer for you on this. It's good for the bottom line, right? Everybody who designs these apps and owns this technology, the power play players with controlling wealth and influence, they love consumers without meaningful relationships and traditional family values. And after a while, the ads you see on social media, have you, have you noticed this in yours yet? They aren't just, you know, picking up on what you said when you were driving in the car and like, oh, it's so weird, it's just right there. I just said it and now it's there on my Instagram feed. <laughs> You've all said that, right? <laughs> It's not just suggesting what you've looked or searched for. All of a sudden, the algorithm's design, it is telling you what you want. How many of you have downloaded a stupid app while playing a game that you never should have played, but you did it because you saw the ad over and over again, right? They told you what you wanted. They told you what pants to buy, what soap you needed. They start to, it's crazy. I have an Instagram ad right now that's just going back and forth that says, we'll make you two and a half inches taller. I'm like, I wasn't insecure, but now I am. Thanks, Instagram, telling me I need to be taller. <laughs> they don't want to, listen, there's not just an effort to destroy the nuclear family, right? It's, it's about creating a relationally fractured society because that is what breeds perfect consumers, right? If we aren't gathered around the table anymore and our phone has become our best friend, because whose calls you take and where you spend your time is your best friend, right? Is your phone your best friend? 
Can it love you back? I mean, it can like you. You can get it through your apps. You can get a good dopamine rush, but it can't love you back. It leads you down the rabbit hole. And I have a question for you today. Do you want your feet on Instagram or Facebook or the news to determine how you think and feel and how you're going to process your life? I know you don't. But when it's the first thing we do when we pick it up in the morning, that's what we do. We calibrate our brain to all those other advertisers, marketing companies, and politically-minded people, and it steers you down a path that you never wanted to go. You can wake up stressed before you get out of bed, right? If you're not starting your day with the Lord, starting it with all those people. So I'm going somewhere with this. Have you ever seen a commercial promoting marriage? No, I haven't. I mean, unless it was like a K Jewelers thing from the 90s. Every kiss begins with K. No, but I don't see a lot of ads saying, monogamy is great. Stay with somebody no matter what. I see a lot of, a lot of Instagram accounts, a lot of shows. You know, 20 years ago, the, the woman who broke up the family or the guy who broke up the family in the affair was the bad guy, right? It was the person who destroyed his life. But now they're the hero. It's romanticized. It's about being who you are and living your truth and being happy and excited. And all of a sudden, what was evil is now called good, right? The person who broke up the family and the marriage, it wasn't really their fault. They saved them from an unhappy place. Why is there such a focused attack on purity and on marriage and covenant relationship? Why? Because it is dangerous. Because if you have a priority that is rooted in the kingdom, if you have a priority that is rooted outside of what they want you to buy, that you cannot be bought, that the price tag on your life has been taken off and you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, then all of a sudden you are dangerous because you can't be controlled by that anymore. And you're a messenger for a different kingdom, one that isn't about building or stockpiling its wealth or gaining power, but one that already has all the power and authority through Jesus. But these people, they don't promote marriage because purity is bad for the bottom line. It's why if you look at the top of the charts, it's always about sex. It's always about promiscuity and sex without consequence. It's why the sex industry is thriving. There are companies who make millions upon millions off of immoral sexual habits, and marriage is bad for their bottom line. So, top show in the world right now. Does anybody know what it is? I will tell you. It is called Dahmer. Monster. The Jeffrey Dahmer story. That's what everybody's watching. That's number one in the world right now. Shh. Mm. What a perversion, right? The power of communion. Jeffrey Dahmer's story is horrifying, and that's what people are putting into their mind. And you know his story, so that's what's filling their hearts, right? Watching that, that story. And I'm not sure what it looks like. I haven't read the reviews. I don't know if, they're, you know if it's just like a documentary that tells you everything. But I just think it's a really great indicator of what's happening in culture today. That that's number one, right? So stay with me. The power of communion releases life in you, and it connects you to Jesus, the source. You are body, soul, and spirit. All three need nurturing. We cannot ignore the spirit and expect healthy and good results. And this move away from the Lord's table divorces the natural and the spiritual. And that is why you, you see that echoed in culture over and over again. The sexualized culture dehumanizes us because sex was created in holiness. It was designed to enhance the bond between two humans. In case you were wondering, marriage between a man and a woman 
who are in sacred covenant with one another. That's how God defines it. That is what marriage is. In marriage, sex is the one thing we don't share with anyone else. It's holy. But when it's cheapened and promiscuity is celebrated, the bond that sex was designed to create is a weapon in the hands of the enemy that strips away the ability for people to make meaningful connections, right? It desensitizes their heart. You have people who fall into pornography, which rewires the brain to view people differently. It removes the spiritual bond that sex creates and makes it a natural act, a physical act with no ramifications. But there are ramifications. People who fall into that place where they allow the supernatural and the natural to be divorced. They walk away from the Lord's table and they eat only the, what the, the, the world is serving up at the table, right? Only... Uh, Cheap, quick fixes, things that are just about your natural happiness, not the things that lead to lasting joy, but the immediate and what serves me. People walk away from that and they get involved in bondages like pornography that make it impossible for them to even look at another human the same way, right? This is what we're looking at. And this is why the Lord's table is so important. See, these demonic principalities, they're, they're piggybacking on the greed of businessmen and women with the goal of creating a culture of consumers without meaningful covenant relationships. That's why it's celebrated when people break up, right? So, two things I just wanted to touch on before we dive into the next portion of this. Are we doing okay, by the way? Deep breath? Okay, good. All right, this focus, there's a focus effort. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but there's a focus effort to redefine family and what that is, right? From media, businesses, the LGBTQ community. So there's an effort to redefine the family as anything you want it to be, right? During the pandemic, this is just informational. I'm not trying to stir pots in the wrong way, but I just wanted to read it because I thought it was really important. During the pandemic... You know, I was an employee for a certain coffee company that had mermaids everywhere. Um, and they were huge supporters of the BLM movement. And so I went on the website because I wanted to read what they stood for. And I thought it was really interesting because on their website, I read that one of their goals was to destroy the nuclear family. So these, these agendas from the news, the media, LGBTQ and other organizations... They don't promote inclusivity. They're designed to break relational bonds that stabilize society. And why? They want to, because there's a concerted effort to move culture towards a dependency on the state, on the systems, right? You see that in other states like California where they're trying to remove parental rights for kids. If your kid wants to transition, then you don't have a right to say anything about it. You know, there's like all of these pushes for that kind of, for moving away, the, redefining what parental authority is, Right? So there's, there's a goal of breaking that apart. And the best way, if you want to read something, I don't recommend the book, but the subject matter is amazing. Aldous Huxley's, Huxley's novel, Brave New World, it paints like a prophetic picture of a society that's li it's willing to live with the divorce of the natural and the spiritual as long as they are comfortable, right? It suggests that people are more willing to part with freedoms as long as they're comfortable. But we're built like our father, body, soul, and spirit. We are what we are. So we can't separate ourselves. We can't escape reality. We're both natural and spiritual beings. We are hybrids <laughs> made from the dust with the breath of God breathed into us. And, and I love this imagery of the Lord is speaking to me. He said, and his, his word is still resonating in the universe and holding everything together. 
Do you realize that, that apart from him, we don't exist? Like, it's in his word that we are here. If he wasn't here, we wouldn't be here. We exist because the Lord spoke it. And I almost feel like, just like the sound waves are traveling in this room today as I speak and as, as, we, as we talk and connect with one another, the sound waves of what the Lord spoke at creation are still resonating in the atmosphere, resonating in the universe, that we are all just a part of an ongoing conversation of something he said. Food is such a natural element, but it's, it's steeped in supernatural history, right? Jesus' Last Supper may have been the point in history where the new covenant was introduced, but there's also so much history surrounding spirituality and food. We talked about it earlier. The dining table has been a central place of worship for thousands of years, both at the altar and during Shabbat. Joseph was delivered from the prison through a prophetic dream interpretation centered around famine and food. The Passover meal in Egypt preserved the life, and it really did. The sacrifice, the blood they took from the meat, it preserved the life of the Israelite firstborn children and cattle. The Shulamite woman hosted Elijah the prophet, and her oil and flour multiplied during famine. David ate the holy bread meant only for priests while Saul was trying to kill him. It's always been this element that has ushered in a supernatural move or a promise from the Lord. It's a physical and spiritual tool where this natural and the spiritual converge. Now we're going to steer it in here for a landing. Come with me this way into John chapter 4. I'm going to tie it up and move into what I believe the Lord's going to release over you today in a supernatural way. In John 4, Jesus encounters the woman at the well. And you, you know the interaction as well as I do. He asked her for a drink. She's shocked because the Samaritans and Jews don't get along. And he offers her living water. I think she's a little bit sarcastic about it. And he gives her a prophetic word about how many husbands she's had and how she's not married. And when he gave her that prophetic word, it released something in her. And she realized he, and he revealed himself as the son of God to her and assured her that everything was about to change, that it would no longer matter where worship was happening, either in Jerusalem or on the mountain, but in hearts. So after this incredible moment, which if you watch The Chosen, I love that show, watch it, you will cry, cry, cry. My favorite part is the disciples come back and say, teacher, we brought you food. And Jesus said, I've eaten all food already. I have a food that you don't know about. And the disciple goes, who gave you food? <laughs> now, the word he used here for the meal that he had is, um, it's like a fascinating wordplay in Aramaic. The word Jesus used isn't the common word for food, but a specific word that means nutrients. It's also a homonym, most commonly translated kingdom. So Jesus has a kingdom feast that no one knows about. And that's what he said. He said, do you need food? I have a kingdom feast that you don't know about. Now stick with me. We're going somewhere. Mark 7. You don't have to go there. Just, just hang with me. Jesus encounters a foreign woman whose daughter is demonized. She threw herself at the feet of Jesus and said, first let my children be fed. And he said, Gosh, she says, please, you know, heal my daughter. And he's, Jesus says, first let my children be fed and satisfied because it isn't fair to take the children's bread. Now that word is a metaphor for healing or casting out demons, kind of like kingdom works. And, she, and the woman answers in verse 28 saying, how true is that, Lord, but even puppies under the table are allowed to eat the crumbs. He said, that's a good reply. Now, because you said this, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So Jesus had food, nutrients, a kingdom feast that no one knew about, 
and he shared this bread with a foreign woman. This food was a prophetic promise about what the Lord was going to do in you and me, how he was going to bring his kingdom bread, the bread made for the children of Israel, the bread that he was eating that nobody knew about. He was going to make accessible for you and for me. And it all travels down and converges at the communion table where Jesus said that this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. This is my blood. Drink it. It's the new blood of my covenant. Remember me. All of that blood, his kingdom feast that no one knew about over to the bread that was for the children. That table was the poor it was the wedding rehearsal dinner for what the Lord was about to release into the earth. That at that moment when they took communion together, it set off a chain of events where Jesus would eventually be beaten, crucified, and laid in the grave, and three days later resurrected, bridging the gap between heaven and earth and creating access to the Father for you and for me, not for, just for the Jewish people, but for us, for all of us, that we get to be called children of God. It's all set at the table. Hmm. Hey, Joe, can I get you up here, my man? Up to this point, food was a gateway that ushered in a prophetic word or a promise. But Jesus was using this food to bridge the chasm between earth's reality and heaven's. In 1 Corinthians 11, we saw Paul educating the church of Corinth on how to honor the Lord's table, right? The Last Supper became the table where Jesus revealed the new covenant that would soon be established through his sacrifice and resurrection. It's the wedding rehearsal meal before the agony of the cross and his inevitable resurrection. Jesus told us to remember him every time we share communion. Those who take it with the wrong spirit suffer, and those who take it with the right one are joined in covenant with the Lord at his table. Do you have your communion elements still? I want us to be able to share in the Lord's table together, but as you're getting those out and getting those ready, would you close your eyes? The power of communion can release life or death. It's a gateway into his kingdom. And today, maybe this has always been ritual for you. Maybe it's just been something that you did to remember the story. But there is an open heaven right now where you can experience the power of communion. Close your eyes and focus. Just look at him. Focus on him. Let his life fill you as you understand the depth of his sacrifice. The church of Corinth got it wrong, and maybe you do as well. But it's time for the Lord to reconnect your body, your soul, and your spirit through his supper, the Lord's table. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to get gut level honest with yourself. Where is your heart at? Where is your heart before the Lord this morning? Not in the declarations or the things you say of yourself, but where is your heart? I've been challenged by the Lord. I'm saying, Lord, I give you my life. But can we really give him our life if we struggle to even give him 15 minutes a day? 
said, Lord, I've been praying this. I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to just say the right things and I don't want to just say the right rhetoric. Lord, I want you to have all of my life. I want you to have all of me. I I want to surrender my life before you. Father, I'm not asking you to sponsor what I'm doing. I'm not asking you to just flow through what I would like to do. I am here to yield. I am here to surrender. I am here to lay down my life before you for what you want to do. Not what I want, but what you want. Father, anything inside of us, Lord, that makes your table about our own furtherment, our own pleasure, our own hopes, our own dreams, God. Lord, I pray that at the table you would liberate our minds. God, we don't want to ask you to just come and sponsor what we're doing. We want to surrender to what it is that you are saying and you are doing, God. We yield to you this morning. Today, I want you to get honest with the Lord, not just where is your heart at, but is there sin in your life? Are there things that are holding you back? You know, we have a big backlash against sin right now. People don't like to talk about it. In the church, we think it's because it's been dealt with, and in the world, we think it's used for judgment. But sin is still sin, and it has its reward, and it has its consequence. The Lord is not just trying to strong arm or control you. He doesn't need to do any of that. He's got all the power and all the authority. So if he tells you that something is sin, it is for your benefit because he wants to steer you away from death. But we as humans, we are just so stubborn. We're always trying. From the garden where he said, don't eat from this tree or you'll die, we couldn't help it. We wanted to taste the fruit because we wanted the knowledge we wanted the truth and that temptation is still there today where we don't want to fess up to our sins because we don't want to have to let it go or lay it down and we're willing to relax and and hope that his grace covers us but I'm here to tell you today at the Lord's table that as you sit with him and you look at him in the face can you hold any of that baggage does any of that hold any weight if you knew that you were going to stand before the Lord in person right now what would you change about your life What, what what would you drop out of your life and make room for him because anything you lay down anything you let go of any sin that is pulling you down and destroying you and trying to take your life when you release that oh the runway is clear and all those blessings that the Lord's been hovering over your life have a place to land and take root so I want to challenge you this morning First, if you don't know Jesus, now's a great time to give your heart to him. And if that's you, just close your eyes like we already do right now. I feel like this is a moment between you and him, and I'm going to pray, and I just want you to agree. Father, over and over again, you've proven yourself. You've shown yourself mighty. You've shown yourself faithful. When I didn't deserve it, when I wasn't interested, You were there. Lord, thank you for rescuing me, for calling me out of the darkness, for knowing my name, for seeing me. Lord, I ask that you'd forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I surrender my life to you. I may have prayed this prayer before, but today, Lord, with a full heart of understanding, I surrender to you. 
And if you're a believer now, I also want you to just close your eyes as well. And I want you to just begin to repent before the Lord before we take the Lord's Supper. There's something that happens when you do this. Something that happens where his life and his, his rejuvenating spirit gets to flow through you. But it has to be through a pure vessel, through purity. So if there's anything that's holding you back from him, I want you to get in front of the Lord right now and say, Lord, forgive me for those things. Lord, I lay them down. I lay down my offense towards this person. I lay down my offense towards this family member. I let go of the, of the things that are holding me back. I let go of the pain and the hurt that others have caused me and I forgive them and I release them so that I can embrace you. Jesus. Come on, just lift up your voice. If you, if you are filled with the Spirit, and you can sing in tongues, just lift up your voice, begin to pray. You know, when you pray in the spirit, when you pray in tongues, your spirit articulates the things that your mind and heart can't. It's the Lord praying through you. I see the Lord just reaching his hand out over the room and waves of refreshing are coming right now. Waves of healing, waves of his glory, waves of transformation. I see him coming into those painful places and bringing out joy where you thought there was only darkness. He's turning on the lights right now. Hear the Lord say, you are always mine. And I was always yours. You were always mine. And I was always yours. So Jesus, we sing it out to you. I'm giving in to you. I'm giving in to you. I surrender. Lord, we surrender. We surrender, Father, all the things that held us back, the pain, the loss, the questions. I feel like some of you here today, I don't know if, if, if it's you, but I feel like the Lord said some of you have experienced great loss. You've lost a loved one, a family member, maybe a child, and you've had questions about it. And you've had questions for years, and it's been such a painful thing that he hasn't been able to, that you've kept closed and shut from him that he hasn't been able to touch. But I feel like the Lord was saying right now, he wanted to be able to bring healing and restoration to that moment in you. So if that's you, just put your hand over your heart. We're about to take communion together, but the Lord is cleaning house right now in some of you. The Lord is sweeping out the corners and the cobwebs. Lord, I just pray for restoration and those who have lost. You are the God who has never left or let any of them down. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your healing, your restoration. Thank you, Lord. You can take up the elements. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and gave thanks. He distributed it, and the disciples said, take, eat your fill. He blessed it, and he broke it. 
take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this and remember me. Let's take the bread together. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it. Whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. Let this be a moment in your life right now. All of you in this room here today, let this be a moment that when you drink this wine, you drink this cup, that you drink it with a new, fresh understanding of who you belong to and what covenant you're being welcomed into. The Lord who restores everything. The Lord who restores your heart, your life, your relationships. He is the King of Kings. That is the cup you are holding. The mightiest God gave everything and the best he had to give for you. And all he asks from us back is everything. And so today as we take this cup together, let us surrender, put fresh surrender before the Lord saying, Lord, I take your kingdom within me. Together let's drink. As you, as you finish, would you just stand on your feet? I'm going to bless, and we're going to bless you and pray out. If I can get our ministry teams to come up and cross, line across the front. Mm. Isn't he just amazing? Isn't it amazing that in such a natural thing with a little wafer and a little juice in a cup, he can release his transformative nature into you? Bethel Church, would you just put your hand over your heart? Bethel Cleveland, I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, let the revelation of your supper, the revelation of your table go deep into our hearts. Father, that the uh, natural and the supernatural would be remarried into our lives, that be reunited, God, that we would see you in everything. We'd see you in every meal. We'd see you in our relationships. When we sit down before a table, God, that we would take it as an opportunity not just to thank you, but to recognize that you're at work in our lives. You're nourishing our spirit, our soul, and our body. God, I just pray that a fresh revelation of your table would be released. And Father, that everyone here would walk out with new eyes to see you everywhere. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Our prophetic ministry teams are lying across the front. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and to bless you. If it's your first or second time, we would love to meet you. Right out those doors is our welcome desk. We have a gift for you. We'd love to connect with you. Thank you so much for joining us. We love you. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.